Hey, Digitally China is produced together with our friends at Radii, this awesome independent media platform. If you're interested in culture and innovation in China, you should definitely check out RadiiChina.com. They'll give you an inside look into everything from China's underground music scene to bike sharing. That's RadiiChina.com. Even if you talk about the Chinese internet bubble, right? If there even is one, right? Like, who's accountable for these high valuations? This results in these issues happening. You just ride the wave and then jump off at the peak. A common refrain or comment that we make about China's tech industry or China in general is that it's developed so quickly over the past decade or past few decades. So today we're going to focus on the question of what happens when Chinese tech companies grow too fast. What compromises are made, or what are some of the consequences or growing pains? Specifically today, we're going to talk about company embezzlement or internal fraud. Our question is if the next Enron case will come from Chinese tech companies. The reason for this is the recent scandal of this drone company DJI, where they just announced that they discovered losses of over 150 million U.S. dollars based on employee embezzlement. Welcome to Digitally China, a podcast about the fascinating Chinese, Chinese tech, tech industry. industry created together with Radii. I'm Eva. I'm Jacob, and I'm Tom. Studies: China's gaming industry is now, in fact, the largest in the world. You may know their messaging app called WeChat. Chinese outbound M&A. Chinese corporates are buying international yeah. companies at a record pace. The hottest phone you've probably never heard of. China's Xiaomi. Yes, it's state. It's claim to Apple's crown. Major deal over in China. You have Chinese tech giant Tencent leading an 8.6 billion dollar acquisition to buy a major stake in Supercell. 14.3 billion dollars in sales clocked by a Chinese e-commerce site in one wild day. I think this is an interesting topic for us to follow up from our last episode, which was. A little bit about work culture in Chinese tech companies versus U.S. companies. So I'm interested to learn more about Chinese management,、uh, why this issue seems to happen periodically in China's tech industry. This has happened with other companies as well, like Xiaomi, smartphone maker, JD, which is an e-commerce company, as well as Baidu, China's largest search engine. So yeah, I'm interested to hear and learn more about why, or if there are any systemic issues that are in China's tech industry. In order to cover this topic in the best possible way, we have invited Alex, currently working with finance from one of the large internet e-commerce companies in China. Welcome, Alex. Hey guys, excited to be here. My name is Alex. I've been working at one of the large e-commerce firms here out in Shanghai for the last six months.、Uh, have had an opportunity to see various aspects of the business,、um, but most recently, kind of working in the finance department, which gives you an,、uh, a very overall perspective of the various lines of businesses and how、um, money moves throughout the business. You are one of those ABCs, right? Chinese Americans that moved back to the motherland to pursue. Career opportunities. <laughs> Absolutely. So I kind of、um, grew up actually throughout the states,、um, various regions. Most recently, I've been working at Accenture. Prior to this, for about six years in finance enterprise applications. So I'm primarily working with kind of larger, sophisticated Fortune 500 U.S. organizations. 
helping them set up their financial enterprise applications. And what this involves is basically really understanding a lot of their financial reporting processes, uh, kind of the pain points from an end-to-end perspective and helping them enable them a smoother transition to them um, with technology. Alex, so what was your reaction when you saw the news about this, I think it was 1 billion RMB um, loss in embezzlement via employees? Yeah, um, you know, I, I, I can't say I was very surprised Obviously, you hear things about this happening frequently in China. You know, I think it's a product of some of these companies kind of growing uh, a lot quicker than the processes can internally. So this results in a certain amount of money that's going to be, you know, lost or attributed to embezzlement. The other aspect of this is the governance slash regulatory issue internally. Uh, what constitutes right and wrong in that large gray area um, in between, right? Uh, The concept of getting a kickback or bringing a supplier over, it's something I think in the West that's defined more clearly. Um, It's very, I'd say it's more so black and white um, versus here, it's just a little more pervasive. um, And I'd say kind of culturally accepted uh, to get a kickback or do something that um, people in the West may interpret as corrupt or uh, interpret as a scandal or fraud. Yeah, so basically what happened was that employees uh, together with vendors were marking up costs, marking up prices, i.e. what they bought parts for, and therefore you know, keeping the difference in their own pockets. For, a, let's say, U.S. standard process like how would the american company solve this not have embezzlement going on yeah i think when it comes to procurement um at most firms and i haven't personally worked in procurement um but i think it's very integrated with your supply chain um there's a lot of checks and balances that need to occur i think there's various layers of uh, management that need to sign off on basically what's being purchased uh, given the size and the importance of what's being purchased. Uh, In context to kind of what happened at DJI, it sounded like this was a pretty critical component um, in what they were manufacturing and the scale in which they were buying this at uh, seemed very critical. Uh, So I'm I'm very shocked that, you know, it didn't get escalated beyond just the procurement group. my understanding was that an entire department did get some uh, get in trouble for what happened, and there was a level of cooperation uh, that needed to occur within the organization, but also with the supplier, obviously. Um, but I'm just very shocked that there weren't more eyes on this um, from the get-go. Say an employee at Apple would want to make 150 million US dollars by doing the same thing. That would be much harder, right? Exactly, and I think it's um, you know it's not necessarily just with the case of procurement, um, but you know most aspects in, wh- in which things are done in these kind of growing Chinese internet companies versus more established Western companies. It's just it just comes with more red tape. Even if you talk about bringing in a consulting firm, right? That's still an expense to the company, um, and mm-hmm. it probably would go through procurement at some point. The stakeholder within the organization obviously needs to be part of some function that the the services of the firm is providing value to. But ultimately, in China, I think it's a lot more agile. It's a lot quicker 
it's easier to get the um, yes or no and just have a couple guys sign off and just get the services going or get the product into the uh, in the doors versus in the West, right? The, the drawback to having all these checks and balances and governance is that it's going to be a lot slower the entire end-to-end process. Um, and because of that, you may be compromising value, time, speed to market, things of that nature, right? I wouldn't say it wouldn't happen in China, but yes, China is definitely sounds like more susceptible for something like this happening. So why would that be much harder? Is it because so much layers of management need to sign off? Yeah, and I can, you know, draw from my experience, obviously working at an e-commerce firm in China and kind of the things I see right now, right? One thing is obviously company and management is very aware of things going on like this, and there's kind of various things they do to try to prevent it. One thing is um, they have special groups or departments within the organization uh, that are purely devoted to this. Um, they're called Lianzhen, which really is essentially kind of a in you can call it an internal audit group uh, for the organization that kind of polices things. They'll do things like uh, data security. They do a lot of things with analytics and using analytics to kind of trace basically where corruption and embezzlement may be uh, occurring. So they're looking at it on a large scale. So it's kind of a data-driven activity. And usually if you see consistent patterns in the way things are being done, you can attribute that to uh, to a high likelihood of embezzlement. So that I, I think that's, that's, the, that's the first thing. Also data security in terms of things going out, right? It's like with most Chinese... Uh, e-commerce firms at the core of really what the value uh, the firm brings is basically the knowledge they've derived and accumulated from all this data, right? So there's a mm-hmm. lot of scrutiny that goes around uh, the security of the data, deploying the data, as also which eyes can have uh, access to certain types of data within the organization, because that is very, very valuable information. Yeah, so for me as an employee of a Western company, uh, if I were to say, let's say, if I want to buy parts for hundreds of millions of dollars, there would be so many people in the organization that need to sign up on that. So someone would maybe see, oh, wait a minute, isn't the unit price too high? But that wouldn't happen in China. I wouldn't say there's a direct translation. I think the closest is internal audit, obviously. Internal audit focuses more on kind of accounting fraud, right, and white-collar fraud, and as well as just basically going through the books and checking to make sure it's, they're obliging to the, you know, the, the standards, the GAAP or, uh, you know, FASB standards of accounting. I think what, what, what Lianzhen really does is less so that, but because our business, there's a large cash component to it, you can say there's a a part of fraud and embezzlement that may occur also at the kind of blue collar level, right? So maybe it might be for smaller sums of money, but it's associated with cash basically deployed to the markets um, or cash that's transacted to the market um, that essentially a lot of the workers can get their hands on before they get to the hands of basically our customers in the forms of subsidies. Uh, So there's that that process that needs to occur where it exchanges hands uh, between multiple parties. And because of that, a lot of people who aren't sitting in the office buildings, who aren't sitting in HQ, but because they're working and cooperating with potential clients, customers, and suppliers, 
that there's opportunity for them to get a get a cut of the pie. So going back to what you said that Lianzhen, they have a lot of data tracking mechanisms to trace corruption, look at patterns that might indicate there's something wrong with cash. How do they do that then? Um, it's basically looking at the patterns in which how it's ultimately deployed. Giving a little more color, I guess, there's, there's, there's various ways. Uh, essentially, our business will give out incentives and subsidies to have people basically use our platform, obviously, right? In order to do that, a lot of times we're giving out money to the local cities. The structure of the business really is you have basically call it a general manager of a city, and it's a pyramid, and below them they manage a large and elaborate sales force essentially to push the product, the platform, as well as the services. So when it get, when the money gets basically allocated or deposited to the cities, it's more or less not very transparent how that gets deployed. Um, I think a lot of the authority as to how to use this money is in the hands of the general manager. Once it's in the general manager's hand, we can really only look at the output or what they say the output or ROI is on this money we're sending out. Obviously, a lot of the money is, a lot of the transactions are put into the, essentially our ERP or our transactional system where the data, where we get the data. A lot of that comes directly from essentially the, the point of sale system, et cetera. So you can't kind of bypass that. So there's things you can see based on the number of transactions, the value of transactions, the value of subsidies that are occurring on a macro level that can, that can indicate embezzlement. Obviously, it can only suggest it and nothing's ever black and white. But again, if you, you, know, if you have enough incidents or just by the means of large, the law of large numbers, uh, you can generally find highly suspicious people. Uh, so let's take a normal e-commerce company online offline in China. If I were to try to embezzle money, how would I go at it? Again, there's various aspects or ways to do this right within a company. Obviously, I'm not a professional at it, but accounting fraud is your, you know, probably typical way. The DJI incident, again, was more of something where um, the cash was be tra- being transacted with suppliers and procurement, it sounds like, was working with external suppliers to do this. Um, in context to kind of how people can do it here, um, there's various ways, especially with an e-commerce firm. You know, you t- you tend to try to incentivize new users, right? And you'll give mm-hmm. them subsidies. In addition, you'll give discounts, heavy, heavily discounted things on your products, uh, not only to new users but um, recurring users to retain them, right? In addition, this cash kind of needs to sometimes be transacted with merchants. The subsidies are not only given to uh, the end users but also merchants. Right. So you can have cooperation between essentially your sales folks that are technically part of your organization with the merchants The the company or the headquarters can be say we're hey, we're offering a 10 RMB discount on a certain type of good. Uh, yeah. For this merchant, but you know you need a you need to meet these requirements or have X amount of transactions, or you know it could only be applicable for new users. One thing that's very common is you know there's systems right now that can just create fake IP addresses to make fake transactions essentially, and because if you can make a fake transaction where it, the value is very low and essentially the value you're deriving from the subsidy is higher, you could do that on a massive scale. 
If you're doing that on a yeah. massive scale and on a per transaction, you're actually only making call it like one or two RMB. But if you're doing it on a massive scale uh, that's automated, that's generating these fake transactions, and the merchant is aware of this, and there's not an actual exchange of goods, what you're essentially doing is just taking the subsidies from the organization. I heard a story from a lot of DD drivers in the beginning when they had a lot of bonuses and subsidies going on to users. And there were these stories about them creating fake DD accounts. And let's say they would get a cash bonus if they get more than 10 rides per day or something like that. And they would use these fake accounts just to order a ride, spend very little money on it in order for them to get the cash bonus. So it would be something like that then. Absolutely. Yeah, very similar. Actually reminds me of another thing that I heard about in China, which is, I don't know if you guys ever saw this, um, there's some articles about people receiving empty packages in China, and, and it was a way to inflate numbers of deliveries for e-commerce. I guess it would make it look like a shop seller was making a lot of transactions, maybe a, a way that it was tracked is like how many packages you're sending, and then they had the scheme where they somehow got random people's addresses. So again, kind of another issue on data privacy or user privacy. So people had their addresses somehow out there and then some companies would send empty packages to inflate their delivery numbers. So that's pretty crazy. But it's, it's similar, right? Which is like gaming the system so that your KPIs look higher uh, for some kind of benefit. I mean, it's kind of interesting, right? Because sometimes versions of this are called growth hacking for startups to get your KPIs up. And sometimes it is just embezzlement and you go to jail. Culturally in China, why does this happen? Is it due to the size of the companies and there are more opportunities? Or are we overall seeing more of this in China than, let's say, in the United States? Yeah, you know, I, I think it's a, a two-pronged answer, right? I think it, it, the kind of the roots run deeper than just Chinese internet companies. Obviously, it kind of goes back to the whole kind of gray area of what constitutes investment, what constitutes what constitutes what's okay and what's not um, in terms of getting a kickback or just doing business in general in the environment. I think that's one aspect of it that's been around uh, much longer than the Chinese internet companies. I think you see this issue very pervasive in the with Chinese internet companies, though, is again, right, the, 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 inter, the internal controls cannot keep up with the pace in which the organization is growing. And sometimes it may be even intentional because they don't want to hinder and stagnate growth for mm -hmm. the organization. For some of the sales folks, it's almost probably the the amount of money is you know more or less negligible. Really, the consequence would be it affects their variable comp for this year or this month, and we you know we didn't consider it. It was more so to say, hey, you can't do this. For the higher profile ones, I don't think that necessarily makes this list. <laughs> the higher profile incidents. I think I, I um, people are fired. It's just there's incidences where people actually aren't, which is a little surprising as well. But are they reported to the authorities? If it's a severe enough crime, absolutely. Lianjin actually, it, it's funny you mentioned this, has cooperates with local government authorities as well. So they co it, it's um, I don't work in the group, but my understanding is there's a level of cooperation with local government authorities as well as the police department. 
Can you give us a sense of like the range of money that people have embezzled? Like, for example, maybe one emails, I'm just making it up, like someone took 10 RMB and then like the greatest number you've seen is like, I don't know, 10,000. I don't know if you have a sense of like the range. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's all over the place, right? On the smaller scale, they don't even mention. I think on the larger end, um, you know, a couple hundred thousand uh, RMB, that is. But obviously, the, the the number of these incidences, uh, you may not be seeing all of them, right? So it's happening consistently. You're mentioning something that really interesting there. Internet companies needing fast growth. Their entire model short term is to lose a lot of money based on top line growth. You know, actually senior management aren't incentivized to fix these issues. And during these few years of fast growth, obviously, there are a lot of opportunities for investment. And maybe that's one of the cases we're seeing, for example, with DJI. But I get the feeling when reading the DJI news that it's only scratching the surface, that they actually are much more existing out there, you know, and this time it was just for such a critical part, it was so much money, they had to go public about it. Yeah, I mean, I think with things like this, my personal opinion is that there's still limitations in which, in terms of the scale in which you can do this to to do something of the caliber that, for example, happened at Enron, which was really a, more so accounting fraud, right? Uh, you would mm-hmm. need such a level of sophistication internally within the various groups, the various functions of the organization, as well as with external uh, kind of financiers and suppliers, that it would be. I think it'd be very difficult for an entire company to straight up collapse over something like this again, outside of accounting fraud. That being said, the the number of incidences can become more prevalent in the market, right? And how consistently this is happening amongst uh, a number of companies. Um, mm-hmm. But when you say it's on a scale of like literally crippling the operations of an organization, It can make it less competitive, I think, absolutely, and in the long run kind of dilute the value. But I don't think it's something we can – I I see like kind of having a company collapse overnight. That would be – I feel like that would be very difficult to do. From a shareholder perspective, they would think, oh, this is the cost of growth and we'll fix that later on. Uh, Or it could be kind of scary as a shareholder. Absolutely, right? It's one of those things that can – it's either the cost of growth or it's something that slowly chips away at the value of the company that you can't just fix overnight or identify the issue immediately, right? Um, it's like a chronic Ill- illness that just slowly makes you less and less competitive in the environment. We're seeing a lot of Chinese tech companies going global now. And, you know, we just had the recent IPO for Meituan Dianping, and they actually have that kind of very cash-heavy business. For me, it feels very realistic that stuff like this would actually also happen within a publicly listed billion-dollar company. It's, it's very true. I mean, I think that's the realities of working in a local environment. This concept of e-commerce, I think you can say, is um, can be global. But I think at the end of the day, it's still a very local, localized business model. So um, it's hard to get kind of... Uh, this network effect with things like, uh, I'd say, a, a, a DD uh, kind of a Meituan Waimai or Meituan food delivery or even um, a ho- local hotel, right? 
I think that's mm-hmm. why you don't see the players like Expedia and Priceline big here uh, fighting with the C-Trips as well as Meituan's. Uh, that's why you don't see the Uber Eats out here. And that's why Amazon's not big out here. It's just a very localized market. And because you're working in a very localized market, you're dealing with the local uh, nuances of uh, being a player in this market. So I think especially with uh, these Chinese tech firms, that's something they're going to have to deal with. One thing to note, though, I'd like to say is that I think uh, the public opinion is if you're listed in the U.S., it gives people a sense of, oh, um, this company is credible. But actually, the requirements to list overseas are less than that of in China. So it's a misconception, actually, that because it's listed on, say, a NASDAQ or New York Stock Exchange, it went through a more stringent filtering process than if it were to be listed in China, which I found fascinating. Based on what I'd read before, I think in Shanghai, at least, you had to show three years of a certain amount of profit which obviously for a lot of tech companies is not feasible. So, But they had been thinking about, at least this year or last year, um, loosening up those requirements because China does want more of its tech companies to list domestically. Um, you probably, Tom, you probably saw news about Xiaomi having these discussions, right? Because so many big tech companies have listed overseas because it's easier to raise capital. I think that another point is that um, there's a, also the assumption that Overseas tech investors are more savvy, um, and maybe that also contributes to being able to raise bigger funds when you go public. That's my understanding. But yeah, like the profit thing, obviously, I think for a lot of these tech companies, that would not apply. From not understanding anything of this to now being able to listen to your opinions and your knowledge, Alex, I get the feeling that actually there are so many layers of so-called embezzlement. And because of the you know scale of businesses and because of especially how many local small enterprises these big players such as Meituan Damping or DJI or DD work with, you know, it just creates so many more opportunities to kind of get a small kickback here or there or create a few fake orders to you know generate a cash payout or whatnot. Absolutely. I mean, I guess my question is like, how would you fix this? Because, I mean, maybe this is a question you deal with practically in your work, but how would you fix this? Because it, it sounds like with Lian Zheng and stuff that they, even though it happens, I mean, it's hard to take one company and kind of extrapolate it elsewhere. But, I mean, from from what I hear, it sounds like they're pretty serious about cracking down on this if they have a whole team dedicated to it. And then if that's so, like, why is it still happening and what, how would you fix it? Yeah, I think a lot of the, things internally we're trying to do right now is using technology to kind of combat these issues. You know, one thing that I'm seeing within the organization is we're trying to bring more of the control or centralize more of the control and the decision-making process at at headquarters versus keeping them in the hands of um, the sales folks on the grounds. A lot of the details associated with the various events, the contract negotiations, the details of how the subsidies are deployed. Um, we're, we're setting up internal systems so that it can all be done electronically or digitally, right? And a lot of these decisions are going to be more so moving forward, driven by data analytics instead of essentially the goodwill of the sales folks with our clients and customers. Um, it's going to be kind of more methodical of a process as well as more structured of a process and it's going to be more of a science than an art i think once you have that you're going to have more transparency 
I think, you know, like like most things in the world, a lot of it is just going to be provided by transparency. And a lot of these systems are going to be kind of, for us at this point, internally developed. From like a variable comp perspective, yeah, it's, I think, it's not just our firms, though. It's it's forever going to be a lot, like very, very difficult, right, to completely in- align incentives between an organization and an individual, uh, regardless of what capacity, what capacity, or what kind of sales role they are in, right? I think that's just the ultimate question. If someone can ever figure that out, they'll probably have the best uh, growth team ever. Um, uh, so you know, it's just completely not, not uh, incentives not completely aligned. But you know, like kind of aligned. But there's always areas in which you can like kind of poke holes, right, and kind of hack the system. People are savvy to this, right? You're also working with people from different backgrounds in terms of the you know the sales folks. They 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 come from a different world. You know, initially I think we recently just started uh, requiring kind of like college degrees for that. But you know, obviously they're not making as much money. So they're coming from different backgrounds where, you know, they, they, they're, they're more called street smart, right? They, they, they know these little hacks in order to, you know, they're, they're thinking about this because they're, they're more sensitive to money. I guess, like, do you think that this is something that's just uh, growing pains? Or do you think that there's like a big movement to crack down on this and we'll see less of it in the future? Or are you worried, Alex, that this is something that's systemic that's not given enough attention? I think it's more so of uh, growing pains. I think just it's internal controls and procedures that need to kind of catch up with the growth of the organization. And I think once that happens, you'll be seeing less of this on a micro scale. Obviously, like on a grander scale, every company is susceptible to this. But that's more so, you know, call it cultural slash the mentality of management. Right. And I think that's not necessarily just an issue with China, but, you know, everywhere you do business, you know, that's a question of morality. But I think on a micro level, these smaller incidences, I think it it can definitely be cleaned up quickly with the use of technology. Are we seeing less accountability in China than in the US? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think think that definitely is the case. When you say uh, low levels of accountability from stakeholders within the organization to outside, right? Even if you talk about the Chinese internet bubble, right? Or if there if there even is one, right? Like who's accountable for these high valuations, right? Um, are people really just riding the wave? Ab- absolutely, I think it's just kind of the um, the horizon, the time horizon of the stakeholders, and they're not as long, right, as you you'd like them to be. So ultimately, this results in these issues happening. In this podcast, we've spoken a lot about the pace and speed and the great valuations that are being created by the Chinese tech sector. And I'm happy that, you know, we finally have some time to actually talk about the other side of it or the dark side. And it really feels like something, you know, short term now, maybe it's not a huge issue for some of these companies because they are keeping on creating new value. But whenever this market gets saturated, this got to be fixed. Otherwise, we're going to have a bunch of companies that actually doesn't function as companies. Yeah, it depends on whether this DJI scandal becomes like a learning moment for uh, the companies in this industry, law enforcement or whoever's complicit, or if it'll just be buried, if they'll try to just bury the incident and move on quietly. And with that, thank you, Alex, for joining this Digitally China episode. Thank you. Thanks again, as always, for listening to Digitally China. Um, We welcome any feedback or suggestions. You can just send it directly to us.
China is produced by me, Jacob Levin, Yiva Xiao, and Tom Shaw, and is powered by Radii, an independent media platform exploring culture, innovation, and life in China. You can find them at radiichina.com. Thank you for listening.